Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. everybody and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. On my podcast today, I have someone who I've been following for a while and um, admired from afar for a while. We didn't really know each other, but we were following each other on Twitter. And um, I admire her work, especially the work she does empowering students through voice and choice, which we'll get into a little bit and that she regularly shares her tech and teaching expertise with other teachers, another way that I know about her. And of course, she's a fellow Wakelet ambassador and sort of helped get me involved with Wakelet to begin with. You might not even know that. So Tisha Poncio, thank you and welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me, Eileen. I'm so excited to be joining you today. And you are right. We are Wakelet ambassadors together. And now I feel like I'm going to flip the script and make you tell me that story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could if we have time later. How's that? But this is is all about you today. Yeah. So I didn't really say too much. I mean, there's so much that you do. So tell our listeners uh, more about what you do, what you've been doing, what you're about to do. So I'm Tisha Poncio, a digital learning specialist in North Texas. This is my 21st year in education. Before digital coaching, I was in the classroom, a nine through 12 classroom for eight or nine years. Um, There were some years in there in between where I was trying to do both roles at the same time. Uh, My expertise is in, um, of course, secondary education, but specifically English, sorry, specifically English and computer information systems. Uh, And then I just recently got my master's degree in learning technologies from the University of North Texas. And uh, that really launched me into really living out my passion even more. In 2017, I created a student-led technology group of students, very small. And the goal was to solve a problem. There were 900 plus devices on the campus and there was one of me. And I thought, why not give these students the opportunity to learn customer service and uh, help desk? And then we just learned so many more things along the way. Um, And so, yeah, my passion is really growing leaders, I would say. That is so awesome. And I've seen some of those and heard some of those leaders and uh, they're, they're really so uh, well-spoken and so confident. So definitely we're gonna, going to get into that uh, when, we, when we talk about that uh, a little bit. But the first question I always like to ask my guests is if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The first thing that comes to my mind is acceptance, uh, no matter what. Acceptance with no strings attached. For me, that has been something that I have yearned for. Um, I love this topic, Eileen. I don't know if you know that I was adopted. 
And so I was adopted when I was three days old. And I will tell you, um, belonging has always been something that I have struggled with uh, just since I was little. And I feel like I'm always trying to belong, but finally into my thirties and forties, I decided that I was going to stop trying to fit in. Um, and I was just going to be myself. And once I really accepted that idea, I found my people and I felt like I belonged. So it's really intriguing how that, that magic of mindset changed all of that for me. Right. And it's interesting you talk about that because uh, many of my guests have talked about what I call self-belonging and finding that self-belonging, which really leads you to having a healthier, better relationships with others and being able to feel confident about being your authentic self. And so that, no, I didn't realize that you were adopted until you know, I had read your background information. And I can just imagine that trying to feel like you fit in when you personally felt that you didn't, whether or not that was the case, but then you were able to find yourself eventually. And uh, Brene Brown talks about that. It's oh. not fitting in. Belonging is not fitting in. It is being your authentic self. And just like you said, spot on being accepted for that. And so you really know your peeps basically by those who accept you for your authentic self. So that's wonderful. And I'm so happy to hear it that you've actually gotten to that happy place, which is so important. Well, I will tell you, Eileen, it's a journey. It's been a journey, right? Um, and uh, in addition to that, I am a childhood cancer mom and I don't talk a lot about that part of my life. Um, it was very difficult going through that season with my son, but I will tell you, in addition to being adopted, I felt like the childhood cancer community, we're very isolated. There's not a lot of us in that childhood cancer community. And so it really set me apart even more. So that belonging piece is something that I really have struggled with. And then you add the ed tech side to that, where my ideas seemed so outrageous and innovative for people, especially as a woman. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. You're exactly yeah. right. So I have felt like that journey. I mean, it's taken me a lot of struggles to get to the point where I can sit in front of you and tell you I'm no longer trying to fit in. I am just fully accepting myself. And I, I know the listeners won't be able to see, but if you ever see me with curly hair, um, the story behind that is I straightened my hair for 30 something, maybe 40 something years. I mean, oh just wow. to make it straight so I could fit in. And one day a light bulb just went off and I thought, what am I doing? My hair is curly. I need to embrace it. And so you'll see me wear it both ways now, but um, there is definitely that story of belonging. I, I feel like it's a theme that I had in my life, Eileen, and didn't know it until really you started talking about it. And I was seeing it on Twitter and of oh, course, wow. Dr. Brene Brown. Yes. You know, I'm a huge fan. I listen to all of her podcasts and I will tell you, she is definitely part of that journey as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And she's been doing research for, um, you know, more than 20 years. So she's definitely the expert. I'm sort of the newbie at it and I really <laughs> admire her work and others. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that what I say and what, you know, what you read online uh, resonates with you. 
So what I'd like to get into now is I know, just knowing you, I know that you do this. So I'm curious and for our listeners also, how you do this. What are some of the ways you create a sense of belonging in your classroom? And has that changed since the pandemic? Because I know you're passionate about learner advocacy and student leadership. And you know, you talk about making sure that students feel they're in a safe space. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to know what are some of the things that you do to make sure that your students feel that safe space and feel that sense of belonging? Well, I will tell you that because of what I experienced as a, a student, I knew immediately when I became a teacher that that was going to be my goal was to create a classroom of culture. Um, and so I have been doing a lot of these strategies for my entire career. Um, one of the things I started off doing was having students at the beginning of the year, they had to fill a container. So it could be any container that they related to a football helmet, a cheerleader megaphone, a band instrument, or, you know, whatever. And I would have them come up and tell their stories because I, even back then I felt like story was so powerful. And yes. so that was one of the first things I did with my students, uh, way back in 99 and the two thousands. And I remember even then being questioned on, on why I was spending so much time allowing them to have that space to talk. So I didn't realize again, that my ideas were really unconventional. <laughs> I guess they were. Um, and so then I just continued to carry that thought process over to my teachers. Once I, be once I began a coach, now that I have been teaching for so long, um, it was very easy to bring students into my classroom and really create a, a safe space, a, a space of leadership, mm -hmm. um, and of ownership. And I knew how important that was for me in my learning. So I really, I wasn't seeing it happen a lot on my campus. So again, I'm always trying to model that for my teachers. Right. So in, in my student tech leadership class, I really run that like a business. So the very first thing that we ever do is they do Enneagram tests or personality tests, um, the Myers-Briggs. I mean, there's so many. So I have them actually do a couple of them. And then we sit down with those results and we reflect on their results and we see how it's different from the person sitting next to them. And we make a little um, spreadsheet so that it's hanging up in our room and we know, oh, you know, Miss Poncio is a one. She's a perfectionist. If she asks us to do this thing four times, it's not that she's being mean. It's just, she wants That's it to be perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so I start off with that because I think it's so important for us to understand like you said, ourselves, but in order to understand other people, we have to start with ourselves. So I don't think our students are really doing a lot of work on that or being guided in that right. in, um, at home or at school. So I start with that and um, I sort, that's really what I build on. So I start with that. We have our core values. So we have classroom core values. And um, I talk about this a lot, but as adults and teachers, we're really good at telling students what not to do. We're really good at telling our kids, well, you shouldn't do that, but we're not good at telling them what they should do instead. Mm -hmm. um, and so right. for my students, they know I expect respect and integrity, a teachability spirit, customer service and honor every single time they come in my space. 
every time they interact with me or each other or a, another administrator or another teacher. And so with those two things, that's really what creates this culture. And, and for me, I feel like then I just kind of sit back and watch the magic happen because they come in every day and I'm consistent in that. And then I start having them own the learning, um, whether it's a Google, a Google level one or two educator certification, which they purchase on their own. Um, I'm asked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Our school was willing to pay for that for them, but level one is $10. And I thought I just really started it as an experiment. And I said, let's let them pay for, for this. If, if they are unable, I will pay for it out of mm -hmm. my own pocket. Sure. Um, but let's see what happens if we allow them to pay that $10 and then they pass the test. And every single year that the students pass that test, it is like the flip of a switch wow. and they start taking over projects and asking to do projects. And Amazing. I'm no longer, right. I'm no, no longer really having to prompt that. And then when we get into the spring semester, just this last week, I was sharing with Alfonso on, on his podcast that we used uh, solving time by D Lanier. Mm -hmm. And I just have it, I have it laid out. I don't say anything. I had the cards laid out and <laughs> kept them on a desk and didn't tell them anything. Like didn't say, Hey, I got this, this game. I just, and they start asking questions. So again, I try to create a culture of question okay. asking and permission to ask questions because I find not only in students, but also in my adults, mm -hmm. they're afraid to ask questions or question an idea. And so I want to continue that culture. So a lot of things I do, the strategies I do, Eileen, I, I, they're, they're so ingrained in me that mm -hmm. sometimes I think everybody is doing this and everybody knows to do this, but the truth right. is they don't. Mm -hmm. um, and so it even had my teachers asking questions. So I, I build that culture with my teachers as well in that same space. Yeah. They can question me on any idea and know that I'm not taking it personally and we can have a discussion about it and we can move forward. So I think that's just really important in that relationship building. And, and like you said, the belonging piece. Right. Yeah. The making the connections, creating that safe space for asking the questions. All of what you said is so important to establishing those relationships that I'm sure last way past uh, just, you know, the school year for the students and for the, the needs that, you know, immediate needs that the teachers have. And I, I love that you are able to use that model for both your teachers and the students and that you welcome the questioning, which I think is also a perspective that often we miss that you open that door. And sometimes we say, yeah, it's okay to ask me questions, but not if I'm busy or not if it challenges me that I don't know the answer, not that, you know, that there are sort of uh, stipulations or whatever, but the fact that you're, you open the door and then accept the fact, which shows your, your own self-confidence, which is, which is amazing. So I also, in your bio, you mentioned that your biggest accomplishment to date has been that creation of the student-led technology leadership group, where uh, you, you empower them. Uh, it's called the hashtag students can lead, can lead movement. 
And I've seen them in action. And obviously, like I said at the very beginning, I'm so impressed. You mentioned that it sort of got started as a project. What are they doing now? And what are the kinds of things that you're, you know, sort of what was the journey of that whole group? Because you said it started in 2017. So over the yes. last four years, what does that look like? And what do you, what are your goals for it in the future? And how are the students doing that have participated in the program? So it did, it started off as not really an experiment, but a, you know, a solution to a problem and, and it morphed into that every year has right. been different. Um, in the first, so in the beginning, I feel like I'm having to really, really be with them and teach them. And it's kind of like when you have a baby or a toddler, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm with them a lot and I'm coaching them a lot and I'm teaching them how to build relationships with the teacher. So any conversation or coaching I'm doing with a teacher, I am usually having them sit in mm -hmm. um, and they're running the help desk. So they're helping um, students with questions on G Suite apps or iPad issues or putting in help tickets for the technology department. Another piece to that in the very beginning is they're studying together side by side to pass that level one or level two exam. And so I have study materials up for them and truly it is, they are self-pacing. I give them the end date and I really practice with them on going backwards from that end date and time management and project management. And I'm going to tell you wow. like, it is difficult in the first semester because I'm really, really expecting so much from them. Mm -hmm. yeah. But like I said, once they are finished with that level one or level two, we kind of, I, I don't want to say we let our hair down because that is not the case by any means, but yeah. it's time then to really focus on presentation skills, speaking to the camera working through some of those uh, behaviors or habits that they have picked up as they have gone through school. Yes. We do creativity. We learn design elements. Um, I work through the design thinking process with them and coach them on doing that with teachers. Mm -hmm. We do goal setting. At one point, uh, two years out of the four, we did a John Maxwell leadership like Institute or Academy that lasted about six to nine weeks. And they would awesome. do book studies and they would really work with this coach and she would push them through this thinking. Um, and I would sit with them side by side. She's actually the reason that I went back and got my master's degree um, because we were goal setting and she made me oh. put down some goals. And of course, I mean, mm -hmm. when you goal set and you work the steps, you right. end up meeting that goal. So the students uh, really, really see the benefit in it as long as they are really putting in the time and the effort. I've had students who have had to leave at the semester mm -hmm. because they were just not ready for that self-paced environment. So it really is a unique experience. The students who have been with me and now have left, they are still working their Wakelet portfolios and creating different portfolios for their specific talents businesses have been created out of this class, a cake business, uh, wow. this, this month, a jewelry business. Um, How fantastic so is that? Oh. It really, I, the truth is, you know, in my previous classroom experiences, Eileen, I, you don't see the payoff, mm -hmm. right? You're putting in all of this work and you just don't see the payoff because they move on. And very rarely do they come back and tell you, sure. but with this program, uh, the way I've, you know, set it up, the, the, the light bulbs, the growth, 
is happening before my eyes. And it is an incredible thing to watch. And it makes me very sad when it's time for them to graduate, but I'm so confident that they have these skills Mm -hmm. and the experiences and the lessons that they need to move forward and be incredible leaders in our world. Yeah, that's, that's so terrific that you're able to have them empowered in that way. So I have a couple of things I wanted to follow up. First is, I know that uh, in many cases, well, I don't know, I wouldn't say many, but in some cases, teachers find it difficult to accept help from students. First of all, they feel uncomfortable with the tech, and I was one of them. And second of all, having a student, you know, accepting that a student shows you the way to sort of overcome that problem you're having with tech. So have you found that with the students who are helping out? How have you overcome that? Tell us a little bit about that. That was the first biggest challenge we had uh, was getting the teachers comfortable enough to be willing to allow those students to come into their classrooms. So I think that's why I'm coaching so much and I do a lot of side-by-side. So I'll take two or three with me and Mm -hmm. I will say, walk with me to this teacher's classroom. We're about to have a discussion about this. You're going to watch how I handle this conversation. That's the first thing I do. So Mm -hmm. that at least gets the teacher comfortable with their face, right? Or, or their voice or just them being present. And for the, the second, student to get comfortable oh, with a situation because you're modeling, obviously, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then the second piece of that, uh, the first year we decided randomly, I had a thought in the shower, you know, how those thoughts just <laughs> yes. come to you. And I thought <laughs> I'm going to do an adopt a teacher program. So each student in this program is going to take on three or four teachers and they're going to be their go-to people. They're going to build a relationship together. What a great idea. Yes. And the students are going to gather data, for example, on favorite drink, favorite Mm -hmm. candy. Um, Maybe they're emailing them periodically, funny memes um, asking, you know, do you need anything? Do you have any questions? Um, So it's a lot of check-ins, but then as the year progresses, those relationships go really deep. My, my teachers now four years in, some of them trust the students so much that they are asking them to complete major projects for them. Uh, one project that we recently worked on with, was with a theater teacher. And of course we're face to face, um, here in Texas and have been since August, but she wanted to put on this theater production And of course there were restrictions. People were having to wear masks. They would have to be um, distanced. So she was trying to figure out a a way to do ticketless system. And of course my students, she came to them and they used their design thinking skills. And one of them had a form finished in about 20 minutes. And another one had created the wakelet that they were going to put all the pieces to. And and then they sent me the link and said, we just need you to make the bit.ly and we're going to make the signs and canvas or Adobe. I'm telling you, when you watch it happening, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, really anybody that comes and watches that process, like you become a believer, but it's still difficult to get people to come in and watch that process happen. And so we do have some teachers that are still not fully on board, but Mm -hmm. the truth is they know if they call our room or they email any of us, we are going to be there either within the hour or within the next couple of hours to make sure they have what they need. And again, if we don't know the answer, we, we are very honest in that we do not know what we need to do for you, but we're going to get back to you. And so it's just really learning how to treat people well, 
learning how to serve them and have a servant's heart. And then being very patient and empathetic, like you said, with those teachers who are nervous about the technology. But um, my teachers at this point, because of COVID last year, when we went online, it was like they really didn't skip a beat. We, we had done so much work, foundational work with our teachers. They were already using Google Classroom. The okay. only piece yeah. they really needed coaching on was Zoom. And so my students when I would meet with them, we had this goal at the beginning of, of 2019, the fall of 2019, that we were going to do a student-led podcast, which I thought was a hefty goal initially anyway. And then we went remote and I thought there's no way this is happening. Right. But I didn't expect it to happen, but the students pulled together, planned the script, told me what I was saying gave me an assignment of finding the music and then and we we ended up using oh. anchor and we recorded our first or it might have been the second as well we recorded those in a remote scene which blows my mind that Fantastic. they even pulled that off and of course we're just learning that um it doesn't have to be perfect right you just need to do it and put it out there and that learning yeah. process happens so um, they're incredible people and students. And I honestly, I, I think when I'm 65 or something, Eileen, that I'm going to see the real evidence when they're leading companies and leading people. And I cannot wait to see that. Oh, that's, oh, that's so inspiring. Yeah. So how many students in a given year do you have going through this program that are helping you uh, troubleshoot uh, these problems? So the first year I only had six because it was a new program. So recruitment was really hard. Uh, they didn't really know what to expect and they right. really all didn't trust me. <laughs> um, yeah. So the next, yeah. <laughs> right? the next year, I believe I had 12 students on that team. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I think we were 10 or 11. This year we're 10. So it kind of stays at about 10 to 12 mm -hmm. consistently. Um, right. They've made a new requirement for my students uh, to take computer science one as a freshman, and then they have the opportunity to come in. What that does for me is help me a little bit in establishing the fact that they can really work in that rigorous environment and that they are sure. welcoming of a challenge. Cause I, I, you know, I told you in the beginning, I have a computer information systems degree. I did not set out to get that degree. Eileen, my college said, this is what you're doing. And I was oh. like, I have no, I, I just want to teach computers. And they were yeah. like, this is what we've got for you. So I've gone through the computer information systems program. Gosh. And I can tell you, if they can get through that first year as freshmen, then I feel like they are ready to accept ready. those challenges right. that I throw at them. So yeah, that, that's a great idea. And I think probably that number 10 is manageable because you know, you have to start them off. They have to finish the Google one and Google two. They have to be able to pace themselves and you need to be able to model and then sort of watch all the, all along the way, what they're doing, because you're responsible for, right. for anything that they do with the teachers. So right. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more because when you were talking, you reminded me about the student portfolios. And so I know we don't have the visual, but, um, because, you know, this is a, an audio podcast, but I would love for you to talk through some of your exemplar portfolios, what the portfolio is, first of all, what, what the students do, and 
what, what it really helps them with, what are some of the skills it helps them with, and some examples. Well, I'm so glad you asked. You know I'm going to send you a link to examples, yes. and I'm going to send you a link to an article I've just written about portfolios. Um, I oh, cannot great. say enough Yeah, that'll about... all be in the show notes. Yes, <laughs> yes show notes. Um, I cannot say enough about examples, and I, I in this article, I, you know, I've, I've as I've gotten older, Eileen, I'm sharing more and more of my story <laughs> because I feel like it's powerful. In my yes. undergrad degree, part of my requirement for graduating was this portfolio, this binder, leather, like leather bound, every piece of work uh, that I've done, you know, my educational philosophy, everything is in this portfolio in those clear plastic you know, page covers, right. <laughs> very immaculate. I worked on that forever. Um, and the truth about this portfolio is I know that it landed me my first job. I know that that's what really oh, put wow. me over the edge. So I go into this interview and don't really have any expectations at all. Um, it was one of my first couple of interviews after graduation, I had a very short stint where I worked at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal newspaper, mm-hmm. newspapers and education department. But um, I walked in, I did this interview. I felt really confident about it. Really wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was just practicing. Yes. And I show my portfolio and I, I say, here, here are the things I've done. Here's where I've student taught. Um, so the, the undergrad degree that I got really prepared me well for this, this education scene. Mm-hmm. And it was after the portfolio, uh, I left the interview and 30 minutes later, I get a call and they want to offer me a job on the spot. Wow. Um, they unanimously said, this is like incredible. Well, so I really didn't think through that process until just this year. But when I started teaching some business classes that year in that school, I decided I would have them do portfolio. So I was teaching Word, Excel, oh, all the da- Microsoft, the database, Access, Microsoft mm-hmm. Access. I don't know. Oh yes, I remember right? that. Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. So I was teaching them all of those things, and over the course of each of those units, I would have them pull their best pieces, and then I would teach them to put it together, and we would talk about why they were showcasing that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they would get certified um, in Microsoft Office. But once I took on this class, it was an opportunity to do the exact same thing, but now digital. (laughs) And so like everything else I do, Eileen, I really had not thought completely through this. I just had put the Sometimes that's better because if you think, yeah, if you think through it too much, then you say, nah, it won't talk yourself (laughs) out of it. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, I put together the single point rubric, you know, cause I am a rubrics girl. I love to use rubrics and I feel like that is just really good, authentic assessment for each of my students. It individualizes everything I can give feedback. So I just put it in the Google classroom And uh, that was the first year of SWAT. And I said, this is going to be your final project. Um, You can use whatever you want. Here are the things I want. This is kind of what I want it to look like. Um, But really everything else is up to you, which is kind of how I approach everything with my students. Because I feel like they're not just they're learning how to do digital portfolios, but there's so much other stuff going on in that learning process, right? If I just give them the choice. Mm -hmm. We started with resumes. And of course, my resume 
was in a Microsoft, uh, you know, Microsoft Word document, like it always had been for of 20 course. years. Yes. Is it, isn't that the only way? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. So uh, very quickly, um, I, my students sat down beside me, and this is where I talk about sitting side by side with your students and being open to what they're telling you, right? Right. And so my student, Julie Parsons, who's now in college, uh, she says, oh, Miss Poncio, I have created my resume in Canva. And I, <laughs> I was like, what? What's that? What are you talking about? And she's, I, I had used Canva a couple of times, but I had yeah. never seen the resume templates. Well, so oh. she shows me her resume. Yeah. And I, my jaw is on the floor and I'm like, Julie, that is beautiful. That is a beautifully put together resume. She was using all those design principles that we had talked about earlier in the year. Yes. She was showcasing things she had done in SWAT and, and theater. And then I said, okay, well, I've signed off on your resume. Now it's time for you to put all of the things that you've created into a digital portfolio. And I gave her some options. I was like, you could use any of these tools. And I walked away. Sometimes mm -hmm. the best thing for teachers to do is to get out of the way yes, and just let them decide, mm -hmm. which is something they aren't, they aren't used to making those decisions, right? They think it's right or wrong. And I, I'm like, there's no right or wrong. There's only right for you. Yes, so it's you like choose. teacher, how do you want me to do it? No, right. it's okay. You can experiment, you yes. know, you can try something. I'll be fine. But with because that. the, the end goal for me was for them to take these portfolios and resumes on with them, wherever they mm -hmm. were going. This wasn't for me, this was for them. So sure. it took me some time to get them really to hold on to that idea. But then Julie sits me down and she says, okay, well, I've started my portfolio <laughs> and it's a wakelet portfolio. And no way. Oh, gosh. I, I am blown away. Like I, I just sat there and I said, Julie, you did this in wakelet. And I'm like, I'm looking through it and I just cannot believe Yes. how great it looks, how it's showcasing her yes. talents and her growth. It's and gorgeous. So let me tell you. Yes. Yeah. So what I did is the next day I said, okay, I took my laptop over beside her and I was like, all right, you are going to coach me, teach me how you did this and tell me the why behind, um, the things that you decided to do. She had, um, headers, you know, over to the left and she talked me through this process. And I, that's really the other thing I've learned you know, the end goal is really this real world experience, but the other piece is to flip the script as an educator and have your students teaching you. And that is when the yes. magic happens. Yes. So I think as educators, we really need to remember that the true magic happens when we flip the script, where we allow students to sit beside us and we are side by side. There is no longer sure. a hierarchy where I am over you and I have all the knowledge. Once I sat beside Julie, I really, it unlocked for me this entire world where I thought we all need to be doing this more and the teachers need to see this happening and that was Julie's first year. So it's been three years since. Uh, and now just last week, I was out of the office for the yeah. morning and a teacher needed my advice. And I said, well, I'm not there today, but you know, Wyatt is down in the library. Feel free to go see him on your, on your, um, off period. Mm -hmm. And when I got back the next day, Wyatt told me that she had asked him multiple questions and then said, here's my resume. Can you please proof my resume and give me some pointers on yeah. what I need to fix? And then he did the same thing for her. And I just thought, okay, this idea is finally catching on where yes. they have 
a voice and they have this knowledge and we need to be more willing to hear them out. Yes. And the thing is, you know, we blame them often for, for not being able to use their voice, uh, not knowing how to use it, not being able to make choices, constantly relying on us. And when we don't realize we're enabling that, you know, we're, we're these caring service people and right. we don't want them to fail. We don't want them to feel frustrated, but at the same time, eventually we're not going to be around to help them. <laughs> and exactly. they are so amazing if we just give them that space. And so everything that you said, Tisha, has reinforced that notion that we, if we just give them the tools, we guide them, we continue to guide them. We're, we're facilitators, right? We're facilitators of the learning. We're not the end and be all. And then how fun is it to learn from them? And mm -hmm. how empowering is it for them to know that they taught us something and they walk out the door and they go, oh, wow, I do have a superpower. I, I do have this strength. I'll tell you that those portfolios were one of the first things that tweaked my interest in Wakelet. So that was the connection is I saw you present about that. And I just was intrigued. And then I went in and saw some of the examples and it was students are doing this. Wow. I, you know, I would hire these students if I had them in front of me, right? It, it is so incredible. Wow. You're absolutely right. It, it is a wow factor. And to think that if I had not been open to that idea, I would have missed out on that entire opportunity. Uh, amazing. Really amazing. Well, we're sort of winding down the time here, Tisha, which I hate to say because this has been so fantastic. Um, what, if there, is there anything else I didn't ask you about, or is there any other advice that you'd like to offer teachers? I think I would just, listening? Yeah. yeah, I, I think I would just say this, uh, and this really goes for anybody, teachers, uh, administrators, parents. I mean, anybody that has any learners in their vicinity is that students can lead that this is where the idea comes from. They can lead their learning. They can lead teaching. They can lead others, but we have to give them the opportunity. So I always say students can lead as long as we are offering them the opportunity and the spaces to do so. And I will right. always, always believe that because I've seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And some of it also probably is your learning process in terms of managing that facilitation and being able to have the strength and the honesty with yourself to step back because there's this tendency when we see them starting to falter to want to step in and help them. Uh, but again, you know, with the enabling part. So we need to also learn from that experience. And it is obvious that you, you've been able to do that over the course of this time. So, well, this has been wonderful, Tisha. Thank you so much. If uh, our listeners want to follow you or find you, where is, the, where is or where are the best places to look for you? Well, I am always on Twitter. My handle is Texas, T-X, mm -hmm. Tech, T-E-C-H, Chick. 
I did not go to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. So that is not why I chose that. Um, but I've just had that handle forever. So you can find me on Twitter. You can yeah. find me on, on Instagram. Tisha Poncio is my, my handle there. I'm now on Clubhouse hosting conversations. Yes. Tell us Very about awesome. that really quickly. Tell us about uh, when they are and what is Clubhouse for those who don't know and you know how they can get involved or find you there. So Clubhouse is a beta. It's in beta right now. It is a, a, a iOS only, voice only app. I, Android is coming soon, so never fear. It's going to happen. But it's, it's, it's this incredible social space where you can create rooms and you can talk to these people about topics that are important to you. And I've only been on about six weeks. Um, Dr. Sarah Thomas, of course, gave me an invitation. I had no idea what I was getting into, truly. Right. I did not know how addicting it would be. Um, but again, talking about belonging, this makes you feel like you belong because you yes. find your people and you can discuss the ideas like we have here today. Um, so on Clubhouse, I'm at Tisha Poncio and I run rooms um, on Sunday night. On Sundays, I do a room called Coaches Connect. And if you find me on Clubhouse, it's on my profile. You can just scroll down and I've given you all the dates. So we do Coaches Connect, instructional and tech coaches come together. We just talk about coaching topics, goal setting, things like that. Uh, last night, I helped Claudio. I moderated a room with him on creativity. Uh, very intriguing. Claudio is a genius. I'm, we all know this. So we all want to learn from him. Um, on Tuesdays, I do a 30-minute quick rapid fire room um, with Lisa Dabbs and Monica Burns, 30 tips for clubhouse EDU clubhouse users in 30 minutes. It's very oh, quick. Wow. And then on Thursdays, Eileen, <laughs> I run, uh, I help moderate. Busy. Yeah. No, I help run uh, Ed Camp Clubhouse with Chris Nessie, Lisa Dabbs, um, Bonnie Nieves. Oh my gosh. AJ trying to think of all, there's a ton of us on there, but the idea is to take that Ed Camp idea and pull it into clubhouse and separate into different rooms and talk about different topics and oh, come wow. back together and do a reflection piece. So it is a great way to grow your peel in and just connect with people and feel like you belong. I, I go back to that idea, but I think it's so important. And I'm so glad we started off with that. And now we're ending with that. Yes. And teachers really need to look into that, whether it's clubhouse or Twitter or Instagram, Facebook groups and things like that to find your place, to find your people and to feel a sense of belonging because it, it's not fun when you feel very isolated, especially if you're a sort of think outside the box type of teacher. So absolutely, thank you again, Tisha. This was absolutely fantastic. And I'm um, looking forward to keeping in touch with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a wonderful day with you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.